0: And welcome to top in tech a global council podcast i'm conan darcy and i have the privilege to be the regular host of this podcast and to lead global council's tech policy team globally it's all go in uk tech policy last week we discussed the uk's new ai strategy and this week we want to delve into the uk's new strategy for regulating streaming services and smart tvs as part of its draft media bill which was finally published in recent weeks. Joining me today to talk us through it is Bart Miners, who is part of the GC team based in London, and he leads on streaming and audiovisual policy at Global Council. So welcome, Bart. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much. We've talked about this issue, Bart, on a podcast before, but listeners are probably a little bit like me, rusty on some of the details, or at least on where certain issues ended up, because there's been so many tweaks and so many shifts in government policy. So I think our starting point really has to be, if you could just give us a little bit of the backstory, not too much, but just a little bit of the backstory of the draft bill over the past few years, and in particular, what happened to the privatisation of Channel 4?
1: Sure, very happy to. And as you say, we have covered this in previous episodes of this podcast, so apologies to our more loyal listeners for recovering old ground. But just to recap this draft media bill is the product of a pretty extensive consultative phase over the last few years this all culminated in the april 2022 publication of a broadcasting white paper by the government white papers are essentially documents outlining government policy positions ahead of legislative proposals and that white paper set out the government's vision for the broadcasting sector Most notably, the Johnson government pretty controversially for the time announced it would pursue privatisation of Channel 4, the public service broadcaster or PSB. Channel 4 is publicly owned but independently self-funded through advertising revenue. These proposals prompted a pretty substantial public, political and cultural industry backlash, which in itself wasn't fatal for the agenda, but did indicate that a substantial investment of political capital would probably be required in order to see it through. The government argument was that privatisation would increase Channel 4's agility and ensure its long-term sustainability against global video demand or VOD rivals. However, there were also inevitably underlying political dynamics at play. Many within the Conservative Party felt and feel that institutionally Channel 4 holds more left-wing sensibilities than is appropriate for a PSB leading to accusations of an anti-Conservative bias. The of these allegations, which again, we've covered in previous episodes, revolves around this uh, in- interesting incident during the 2019 general election campaign in which Boris Johnson was replaced with a melting ice sculpture during a climate change leaders debate, provoking threats from some within the Conservative party of a review of the broadcaster's remit. In January of this year, however, with a new prime minister and culture secretary in place, Michel Donlan announced that the government had shelved its pursuit of privatisation of Channel Four, having reviewed the business case for the sale. Donlan concluded that Channel Four should remain in public ownership, but be afforded greater flexibility around its content production obligations. In reality, the decision was more likely made so that the Sunak government could focus its political efforts elsewhere, rather than contesting this particular cultural battle around Channel Four's future so that leads us all to here with the publication of this draft media bill which does not now contain any provisions relating to a privatization of channel four
0: so channel four privatization is one of those issues that seems to come back on cycles i think about five six seven years ago we had a similar debate the government floated it and then back down again i think under the coalition government between the conservatives and the lib dems it came back again under Boris Johnson's government, and you can't help but feel that were we to see continued Conservative leadership in the later half of this decade or into the next, that again you'll hear debates starting to rise up a little bit again around whether Channel 4 should be privatised. But for now, it seems to be categorically off the table. And as you say, Bart, it does seem to be a slight sense of political expediency rather than political conviction that potentially has left us here. Many of the people who are taking these decisions in government now are the same people who were part of the cabinet or who were ministers under Boris Johnson when this policy was being pursued. So I don't think there's been a dramatic shift in how Channel 4 is perceived by the Conservative Party, but certainly the way in which the government will suspend spend its time before the next general election fighting a big, controversial battle over Channel 4 for what might be seen as limited rewards. is something that clearly Rishi Sunak and his team are not prepared to countenance. So I suppose what listeners might be thinking here, Bart, is, well, if this draft bill was supposed to
1: be all about
0: privatising Channel
1: 4, what's the point of it now? What's left? Channel 4 privatisation has been shelved for now, as you say, but the draft bill contains quite a broad range of proposals targeted across the broadcasting ecosystem. Most prominently are a few provisions. The introduction of a video on demand code, prominence rules for public service broadcaster content on smart and connected devices, must carry obligations for licensed UK radio stations on smart speaker platforms, and the repeal of Section 40 of the Crime and Courts Act 2013. So just to delve into a little bit more detail on some of those provisions this video on demand code will seek to address a pretty long-standing gripe amongst PSBs that VOD competitors like Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus don't have to adhere to the Ofcom Broadcasting Code. The only VOD platform which does is BBC iPlayer. Under the proposals contained within this draft media bill Ofcom will be empowered to draft and enforce a VOD code which would introduce new content standards. Due prominence obligations will require services providing access to internet programming content produced by PSBs like iPlayer, ITVX, and all four, to be granted an appropriate degree of prominence over content produced by other broadcasters. Radio accessibility will see smart speaker platforms required to offer access to all licensed UK radio stations and prohibited from charging those stations for hosting them on their services and overlay their own adverts on top of those stations' programming. Section 40 appeal was an interesting provision of the Crime and Courts Act 2013, resulting from the Leveson Inquiry, which was never actually put into practice. Section 40 would have required news publishers to pay the legal costs of both sides in any action, regardless of the outcome, if they were not a member of an approved regulator. So while Channel 4 privatisation has been removed from the media bill agenda, there's still plenty to go off there in terms of broadcasting provisions. So it strikes me when thinking about
0: this from a tech policy perspective that the government here, Bar, is trying to do two things. The first is to increase the regulatory burden on streaming services. You mentioned Netflix and Disney Plus and others. And then the second is to proactively promote British broadcasters and British radio stations. So a two pronged uh, approach to the sort of same issue about digital competition from international providers. Let's dip into the first there though. What does it practically mean that the Ofcom code of VOD code as you put it will be applied to streaming services? What do you actually think might change for those companies
1: to go into a little bit more detail on this bees have to adhere to the ofcom broadcasting code which imposes obligations around their programming content non-psb video demand services like as you say netflix amazon prime video disney plus do not currently have to adhere to that code but do have to comply with somewhat weaker vod specific rules governing age restrictions on content incitement to hatred and commercial references within programming, but generally much narrower uh, than the obligations imposed by the Ofcom Broadcasting Code. This new VOD code introduced with the media bill will aim to level the playing field, so to speak, introducing new, stronger targeted requirements to, for instance, protect under 18s from harmful content, exclude content likely to encourage or incite crime uh, or disorder, Prohibit the presentation of views or opinions on matters of political or industrial controversy or those relating to public policy. Ensure news content is presented with impartiality and accuracy. Protect viewers from material which could be offensive or harmful. And ensure that content of a religious nature is presented respectfully. A lot lot more sort of obligations to comply with there than they, they currently have to. The code will apply to Tier 1 VOD services as designated by the Secretary of State following consideration of an Ofcom market report. Those services will then be granted a standard grace period of six months from designation or publication of the code, whichever comes later, unless otherwise specified by the Secretary of State. So in answer to your question, in practice, VOD services will have to ensure primarily that suitable protections are in place for young people accessing potentially age-inappropriate material, and that documentaries, news, topical affairs content are presented in a balanced and fair manner. I guess the
0: detail here, Bart, is something we don't quite know yet, because if if the regulator Ofcom needs to come up with this new video-on-demand code, then by definition that code does not exist yet. And clearly, it can't just be a carbon copy of how the broadcasting code works. So the one we've, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, but if you take the example of age restrictions and on linear television, traditional television, the solution is quite simple. You just can't play certain types of content in the UK before 9pm. But that clearly isn't what's happening on video on demand services and streaming services, whereby... You have age restrictions tied to people's accounts. So in terms of those other areas that you just listed, we're going to have to see exactly how these are applied and in what way, and it won't be a copy and paste exactly from what we're seeing on the day-to-day regulation of the traditional broadcasters, ultimately with whom the the playing field is being leveled. So let's go on to the second part. Now we've been talking about these public service broadcasters and these radio stations who are actually being proactively promoted by the government and at the heart of it is this issue of prominence. So can you just talk us about what do we mean by prominence
1: and why is it important for broadcasters and streaming services? So these prominence obligations will again seek to address a long-standing complaint by PSBs about tech companies essentially acting as gatekeepers controlling access to their online content. Under the media bill's proposals, PSBs will be required to make designated online services available to regulated television selection services, which in turn have to adhere to must-offer and must-carry obligations. Both parties have to aim to secure and maintain commercial agreements to this end with a stated aim of supporting the ongoing sustainability of the PSB framework and the continued provision of public service content to audiences. Uh, this will aim to prevent tech platforms offering regulated television selection services from demanding unfair commercial terms from PSBs in exchange for providing access to their contents. That's a lot of jargon, but in effect, this will see PSB VOD platforms like iPlayer, ITVX and all full, uh content boosted ahead of non-PSB content on smart and connected devices like smart TVs and streaming sticks. Ofcom will publish a code of practice setting out further detail on how prominence has to be granted in practice. On the radio accessibility point, the requirements around that will represent another step by the government to try to boost the competitiveness of British content against international competition. Smart speakers will be required to carry and make easily accessible all licensed UK radio stations and prohibited both from charging those stations for hosting them on their own services and overlaying their own adverts on top of those stations' programming.
0: So if we think about this from the perspective of the listener, so what's the difference? The difference is when you turn on your television, let's say it's a Samsung television, and up comes a list of apps and a list of content as you turn the television on, what these obligations will mean is that the first apps you see advertised to you would be from the bbc from the itv from channel 4 and public service broadcasters whereas at the moment that doesn't necessarily happen and i think underlying a lot of these intentions is the concern that international streaming services are essentially able to pay more money to say amazon firestick or to smart tv operators to get greater prominence as you as a consumer, turns on the television. So it's essentially allowing public service broadcasters to pole vault and pivot in front of international streaming services and ensure that content is seen first. It doesn't compel the user to necessarily open that content, but at least means it's in their eyeballs before others. An interesting point here is what the bill, draft bill, that is, does not do is it doesn't introduce the concept of prominence onto handsets and onto tablets which is often the way in which many people end up consuming their content you could see the idea of prominence with regards to mobile phones and smartphones being one which i guess bbc iplayer could be pre-installed on your iphone when you buy it is one way in which prominence might be achieved but it seems that the draft bill avoids that though you never know whether in the legislative and parliamentary process, whether such ideas might also get an airing. But just as I've pulled us there onto the legislative and parliamentary process, can you just talk us through what the next steps are with the draft bill? It's a bit of a curiosity I expect to some on the line about why is there a draft bill? What does a draft bill mean as opposed to a normal bill? So if you can just talk us through what happens next.
1: Sure, yeah. There is a process around, an established process around draft bills. The media bill has been published in draft form to, quote, facilitate a period of technical engagement with industry prior to introduction, which likely signals that further consultation, whether formal or informal, will take place before the bill is formally brought before Parliament. At this stage, the draft bill will be subject to pre-legislative line-by-line scrutiny by what's referred to as a public bill committee, which can propose amendments to the final bill before its introduction, and that committee will be composed of parliamentarians. The government has stressed its commitment to introducing the bill as soon as parliamentary time allows, but this is a pretty standard phraseology and a congested legislative timetable and conflicting priorities probably suggest that an autumn 2023 introduction to Parliament is a more realistic time frame. As you've mentioned earlier, the draft bill itself is somewhat more high level in its level of detail, with much left to the discretion of Ofcom, the direction of the Secretary of State, particularly with regards to the VOD code and due prominence rules. Ofcom will be instructed to publish further guidance at a later stage under the terms of the bill, which will provide more granular detail on how the regulatory framework will operate and be adhered to in practice.
0: So thanks, Bart. When I hear you listing all of that out, it just sounds quite lengthy and time-consuming. And when we think about where we are in the political cycle, most people expect there will be a general election next year. There's some speculation it could even be in the spring next year. So do you not think there is a danger here that this entire purpose, entire legislative initiative and drive could actually get timed out by the next election?
1: Yeah, I think that's an entirely plausible outcome at this point. As you say, general election will very likely be held before the end of next year. It's entirely possible, given other major policy priorities that the media bill agenda could be crowded out so to speak before this point. An interesting observation though is that following the machinery of government changes earlier this year the streamlined department for just culture media and sport has been stripped of its digital remits leaving broadcasting reform as one of the streamlined DCMS's most significant responsibilities. The sooner a general election is held the less likely it is that the media bill will make it beyond its pre-legislative stage.
0: I take your point that this is a priority for the media, culture and sport department. But when you talk to people in and around number 10 and talk to people in industry, there is also a slight sense that the Sunak government has inherited this agenda. And we get that from the way in which the Channel 4 aspect of that was ditched. So you don't get a overarching impression of huge enthusiasm to get this passed, that it must be done before the next election. So there are lots of if and buts here that could end up at scuppering the Bill's passage if and when we finally see it. But no doubt you'll be back on Bart to make sure the listeners are kept abreast of exactly how that plays out. So just thank you very much for taking us through it and thank you to everyone on the line. As always, if... Your business, your investment are exposed to the regulation of streaming services, the regulation of smart speakers or smart TVs, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find our details on the GC website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. Thanks very much and next week we have Tom Wheeler, former chair of the FCC in the US and a senior advisor to GC who's going to give us his reflections on the future of digital regulation in the United States. See you then. Bye-bye.